hello to all of you online. Happy Mother's Day. It's a joy to just in this moment think of all of you amazing ladies and all of even the mothers who've gone before us. Maybe, um, maybe you are thinking of a mother who's recently passed or a mother that made an impact in your life, a spiritual mom. We have all been impacted by women who have chosen to care for us. And uh, I just want to take a moment to say we honor you and sacrifice and nurture that can come through the life of a woman who is releasing the love of God. It can impact our lives forever. And it's such a big deal. So thank you, ladies. And if you are sitting next to a mom or um, you have a mom that's still alive and well, I just encourage you today to message her and express the honor and the love that you have for her. Um, just to simply carry a child in your body for nine months and then release it into the world is enough for a woman to get honor for. And if you've birthed children, then you're probably amening me. But if that's, it, if that's the only thing your mom has done for you, then she is still worthy of great honor, in my opinion. So uh, we just wanna honor these beautiful women. Now, this morning, Ramp Church, I feel like I'm just here to um, just simply say that we've been praying for you, and I don't really feel like I have a full um, preach. I just want to remind you, some, some of you who are watching, that you're covered with your family of God, your family, your church family praying for you, praying that you can see the significance of this season. Even with this whole series that we've been doing, even here, even now, even us, I just feel like that phrase alone is powerful enough. I wish it would just get tattooed on our heart that every season of our life carries significance and is sacred, is holy, is divine because the Spirit of God in us is made us have now a divine nature and um, you, have been, you have been prayed for, and as I have been praying for us as a community, I've just been reminded of some of the things that we learn about God, about the love of God, about what it means to love God back, about what it means to follow Jesus through observations of moms and children. And I want to, um, I want to share maybe a few of those things, but first, let's just go into um, the Word. I want to talk to you about the significance of just loving the people in front of you. And I want to go to first, first um, let's go to 1 John 2, chapter 2, verse 15 and 17. So 1 John, towards the end of the Bible, and um, this is one of my favorite books. If you're, if you're new to Christianity, and you're, or maybe you're just wondering, well, what, what book of the Bible should I be in? I think last week I told you guys, to uh, be reading 1 Thessalonians 1. Well, this week, if, if you were to say, well, what, what book of the Bible should I read? I'd say, I'd really encourage you to read 1 John. I love how simple and clear the message of the gospel comes through this book. And I want to um, just remind you that when you come to Christ, when you begin to trust Jesus, give him lordship, um, let him lead, surrender your life to him, that Jesus says in the gospel of John, that you are born of the Spirit. You are born into the kingdom of God. And this is a new birth. It's a work that happens in a moment, and it also takes a lifetime. So the moment you transfer trust, you're justified in Christ, meaning that your record of sin is cleared. 
He becomes your righteousness. The weight of sin, the weight of shame and guilt, of the brokenness, the brokenheartedness of sin gets dealt with in a moment. Our justification, we put our trust in Christ to save us. And then, so we're born in the spirit. It's literally like a new birth. You're, you're alive now. You can see, you can hear, you can taste, you can, you can sense God, you can respond to God. This is what it is to come into the kingdom. Born of the spirit and the word, you're brought into this new kingdom where God is ruling. God is reigning. His righteousness, peace, and joy begin to permeate your life and then get released through your life to the world around you. And then we've talked before about then it's not just in a moment where you transfer trust, but you begin then to grow in Christ. Just like a baby grows in a family. You have the authority, you've got the right blood flowing through your veins, but you grow in maturity. And that growth is called sanctification. And that's the work of the Holy Spirit helping you to now think like Christ would think on the earth. So it takes a lot of unlearning and a lot of learning to then be able to actually be aware of what it's like to live in the kingdom of God while you're here on earth. But this work of sanctification, of being made in the image of Christ and representing him to the world around us, this is part of our purpose here, is now we don't just have a moment, an epic moment where we're brought from darkness to light, but then we have a lifetime of releasing the light of Christ, of learning what his love is, and then releasing that love to others. And, in, and we're doing all of this. We're, we are learning Christ. We are learning the values of his kingdom. All in the presence of a world that Paul says is blinded by the God of this age. We are in a world here on earth where there's principalities and powers and dark rulers. And there's so much that's opposite and opposed to the kingdom of God's righteousness, peace, and joy. So we're in this kind of battle scene, and, and it's all around us, and then Paul says it's even within us, this transformation, this war between our old way of doing things, but then the seed of God that's planted in us, the divine seed of God, the word of God, the will of God, the kingdom of God in seed form planted in us the moment we believe that grows then in us and bears fruit that this inner transformation that's just like a seed buried in the ground, as we grow in Christ, as we're sanctified, it begins to bear fruit that's outward, that can be enjoyed by others. So I just feel, even today, to um, just remind you of the values of God's kingdom and how those are sometimes absolutely not compatible with the values of the world. And when we come into God's kingdom, we have to grow in Christ. We have to, what Romans 12 says, we renew our mind. Jeremiah says we pull things down, ways of thinking that have governed our life. And then we build, we're built up in Christ. We add new things like a total house renovation. And then God comes and he dwells right in that house dwelling right in the middle of a renovation project and loving it and transforming us. And one of the things is I've been thinking about, um, you know, families and Mother's Day 
We all, whether you like your mom or whether you have a mom or you don't, we all came from a mom, right? <laughs> we all were birthed by a mother. So we have all that in common, whether it's been a pleasant experience to have a mom or a very unpleasant experience. We all came from a mom and we all have this in common that family has impacted our life. We have been greatly impacted by the love or the lack of love that's in our life. And I feel like this is even like a little glimpse, that truth right there, that experience that we have of being so deeply impacted by those closest to us. We find a truth that is honestly in God's kingdom. Jesus came preaching the kingdom, and a lot of his preaching was actually pointing out things that we think matter that don't matter, and things that do matter that the world says doesn't matter. And so this is that kind of mind renewal, but I just want to remind you, Ramp Church, of just the utter importance of us being able to love well, to love God wholeheartedly, to love the people in your family, to love the people in your workplace, and that that is our chief, our highest goal. But that seems so, some days, mundane and vanilla, if you know what I mean. It's like you come into this kingdom of God, and I don't know about you, when I, was, when I was 14 years old, I went on a mission trip, I went on these different mission trips, and I just began to have like this, you know, reading the Bible, it's like, I began to think that following God is like some sort, and it is in some ways, but there's lots of different angles that you can kind of approach the call of God and what it means to follow God. And it was like the only angle that I could see call, the call of God is like this epic movie-like angle where it's like everything is just so full of adventure and fire and big sacrifice and something that's so admirable. And sure, it is in the, in the spirit realm, in the realm of eternity, following God is really big and epic. But then I had to grow because I got... I had to grow into the knowledge, the understanding of God's kingdom and God's love, really impacting the every day of our lives. And that every part of my life is sacred. And when I first came into following Christ, it was like I could go to a youth conference and I could go to, on a missions trip and be working with kids in third world countries and holding dying babies in my, in my arms. And I'm like, this is it. This is the call of God. This is so who I am, what I'm meant to do. And then I got married and I had kids and I'm changing diapers and it's like I can't find God anywhere. Where's God? <laughs> It's because everything was, in my mind, serving God is some sort of epic life changing. We're going to change the world. We're going to go to the darkness, and we're going to go to the uttermost, and we're going to bring revival, and it's going to be glory, and it's going to be fire, and it's going to be awesome. And then you grow up, and you begin to like, okay, have I missed God? Because here I've got kids, and I've got work, and I've got university, and I've got real life that apparently has to happen. So says my parents. How do I find God in this? And I think one of the things that we have to first get renewed in our mind is that when we come to Christ, we begin to carry the divine nature of God. And this you find in 1 Peter. He says that God has blessed us and he's given us his divine nature. And so now everything about my life is sacred. All of it is baptized in this life of the Spirit. Everything is worship. It's this big mind renewal because when we first come to God, we're like, it's so easy 
I don't know how, how many years it took me to realize that, that worship and sacrifice is so much more significant when it's actually a sacrifice, like when I don't actually want to do it, but I can find God in it. I love to go on missions trips. I love working with little kids and in very dark places and sharing the love of Jesus with them. But, but is that a sacrifice or is that something that I like to do? <laughs> I mean, there are all aspects of serving God that we, some of the things we love to do. And then there are aspects of serving that we actually don't do. And I think, wouldn't you agree, that's probably real serving is when we don't actually love to do it, but we do it because we love the person that we're doing it for. So we have to renew our mind, and the first thing that we've got to kind of adjust is, is that our whole life is now sacred and holy. There's divine nature flowing through everything that I do. That's so, let, let, that will fill your soul with hope. To see you're a spiritual being. So now you have the Spirit of God who's divinely empowering you in every sphere of life. And it's by faith and it's true in his word, everything from, from getting food and eating with Christ at a meal to hanging out with sinners to rebuking Pharisees, all of it was sacred. We can see it in the life of Jesus, can't we? We can look at Jesus' life and we can say everything he did was bathed in purpose. If he was rebuking the Pharisees, if he was teaching in the synagogue, if he was multiplying bread, if he was with his family, oh, because he's the son of God, it's all holy and it's all filled with purpose. That's true of our lives, too, as children of God. Now we're followers of Christ. There's nothing that we do that's not holy and sacred. There's no part of my life that's not been immersed, fully submerged into the great purposes of God. This is so countercultural, and this is why we're at 1 John. The kingdom of God is different than the kingdom of this world. Even sometimes I like to just kind of do an own self-check. Just let the Holy Spirit check me on this. Is there anything about my life that does look distinctly different than the way the world operates? Because we are meant to be a light and darkness. We're meant to be different. We're tasting, we're adding a flavor that can't be found in the world's value systems. Listen to what 1 John um, chapter 2, verse 15. This says, Do not, I'm reading in the New Living Translation, 1 John 2, 15. Do not love this world nor the things it offers you. For when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see and pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, but are from this world. And this world is fading away, along with everything that people crave. But anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. This is such a beautiful, just like very sharp surgical blow to the heart, is it not? That, that we are in a kingdom that is different. It has a different value system than the kingdom of this world. And when we come into Christ, it's like sometimes we still have the value system of this world, but we just want to add some values of God. 
But we are not meant to just add with total allegiance to Jesus, to be different and refreshing. Jesus was so impacting, not because he adopted to the world, but he was fully who he was meant to be in the middle of the world. Now listen to the value system of the world. The world offers only a craving for physical pleasure. Okay, so physical pleasure is a value of the world. A craving for everything we see. Isn't it all about what you see? How a person looks, what they're wearing, what they're driving, how their house looks. Everything in the world's value system is coming through that filter. Let me adjudge you by your appearance. Let me adjudge, judge you by what I see. Now when Jesus came, Isaiah said, he didn't judge by mere appearance or hearsay because he saw straight to the heart of a man. And don't we love that about Jesus? Oh, we revel in that. But we're meant to be that here on the earth as well. So we're not living by just the lust of the flesh, pleasure. And we're not living and we're not considering what's valuable just based on what the eye sees. And then it says, we're, and we don't have pride in our achievements and possessions, accomplishments. When we come into the kingdom of God, Jesus begins to help us unlearn and relearn that the most important thing he wants from us is love. He wants us to imitate the love that he has showed us to the world around us. He wants us to receive and believe in him. He said, this is the work and the will of the Father that you would believe in me. Believe that God loves me. Believe in his son that died for me. Receive Christ. And then imitate that to the world around us. He says, love, you know, what's the most important commandment? Love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. In Ephesians 2, I mean Ephesians 5. Ephesians 5, verse 1 and 2. Imitate God, therefore, in everything you do, because you are his dear children. Live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. So this kingdom value system is all built around this. We have the love of God revealed to us. Not in full measure, we get glimpses, increasing glory to glory, strength to strength. And as the love of God is revealed to us, it changes us. We receive it, and now that's our template for living. That then becomes what Paul says is our highest goal. Whatever you do, just aim high, do it with love. I know that seems so abstract, doesn't it? So we don't even really know. We have to then redefine even what love is. Because love in the world's opinion and the world's value system is all based on lust of the eye lust of the flesh, and pride in our achievements and possessions. I mean, think about this even when, when you think about um, just our own uh, attraction for other people and how we view people and how we rank people, the judgments of man, based on, well, do we like the way they look? Lust of the eye, lust of the flesh, what pleasure do they bring to me? 
And then pride in our accomplishments. Well, what do they think about my accomplishments? And let me size up what I think about their accomplishments. And based on these things, I'll decide how devoted I'm going to be to them, how much I'm going to invest in them, how much, I'm gonna, how much time I'm going to give them, all based on lust of the eye, lust of the flesh, pride of life. And it can infiltrate our whole system of who we relate to, who we serve. So Jesus comes and he just starts putting things upside down by telling people things like, love your enemies, do good to those who can't repay you. He starts bringing into society, valuing those that society had so devalued, children and women. And he's teaching us that a life of love, that his love that he's demonstrating to us is, first of all, it's not based on any of these temporary things. It's based on the fact that we belong to God. We belong to him. We're children of him. And we now are imitating him to the people around us. And this is such a big deal. This is such a big deal in God's kingdom. I mean, think about the difference, okay? If I were to say, when was the last time that you heard the world shouting out the importance of quality time in a relationship, in a marriage, in a family, or when was the last time you heard the world just shouting, you know, women, it's enough for you to just love the person in front of you. You don't have to, you don't have to do it all. You, there's so much pressure. Is there not on humans today to just do it all, to be all of it, to have the accomplishments and the looks and the right connections. And even, and we take that value system of the world, we bring it right into the church. We try to bring it right into those relationships. And we say, well, you, honey, you got to be anointed and you've got to look good and you've got to be able to serve me before I even give you time of day to consider for a spouse. We have the same value system. We're just wanting to add a little anointing on top. We're meant to be just completely different though and see just like Jesus into the heart of the matter, right to the heart. And Jesus is able to look right into our hearts and see, Stacy, you need to first receive my love and then your purpose is to imitate that to the world around you. I love that phrase that it says in Ephesians. He says, imitate God and live a life of love. We absolutely have no idea how to love others without first learning from God, the example that he set. In order to imitate somebody, you have to be intimate, right? You can't imitate somebody you don't know, you don't spend time with. So there's intimacy that's involved in learning how to love. It takes revelation, but it also takes a posture of turning our heart in the attention, giving God time and attention. So I want to share with you in closing just a few things. I'm saying all of that to say, Ramp Church, hear it from the word of God. If there's an area that you really need to succeed in, if there's only one area that you can succeed in, it needs to be loving God and loving the people in front of you. Loving them, willing to sacrifice for them, and finding the glory of God in that. Just what I said, it came in and we kind of have this definition of what it means to serve God. And then we're in situations where we're like, well, I can't serve God here. And God is trying to teach us, no, I'm everywhere and my purpose is everywhere and you can serve me here. You can tune your heart to me and listen to me and obey me no matter what the circumstances. 
And we start thinking, well, I really need to serve God, so I've got to change jobs, or I've got to change locations, or I've got to go here. God, and when you come into God, and your whole life is immersed, there's not a season of your life that's not significant. There's not a season of your life that's not significant, because every season of your life is meant to be filled with revelations of the love of God and releasing the love of God to others. That works no matter the job, no matter the spouse, no matter the situation, the country, whatever. If this is our one thing, our highest goal, to love as Christ loved. I love how even Ephesians 5 <clears throat> talks about Jesus shows us what love is because he sacrificed his life for us. And this is another big kind of mind renewal because in the world, again, love equals what you can give me how you appeal to me, and what accomplishments you have. And Jesus comes and he shows us the life of love is not the feelings of pleasure, and a life of love is not being perfectly matched, and a life of love is not coming together two very talented people to change the world. It's a life of love is being able to lay down your life for one another. This is love that there is sacrifice. This is mature love. And, you know, it's so amazing. One of the things that we learn even about uh, when we observe moms and we observe children is as children grow in their own maturity, their love becomes more real. You know, at first, they, the first thing, how do they express love is they just say it. That's their expressions. The first step of love is just, I love you. I love you. You know, and then they learn that a love is not just a confessed out of the mouth, but that it actually means considering the other person through obedience. <laughs> Jesus says in John 14, if you love me, you will obey me. Well, how does that work in our, our relationships horizontally? When we love God and we obey him and his, obe his command to us is that we love one another, it means we are willing to submit our own selves and prefer another. You know, in any, in one thing that motherhood and children, they teach us is in any situation, there's always two wills. There's the will of the parent and there's the will of the child. And that real love is when that child is able to submit its will to the parent. And we also learn, though, that the parent always has the best interest of the child when they're asking him to do something. So we learn that love is not just a lip service, but it, it involves sacrifice, preference, my will bending to the will of God. And we also learn that it's not, just, it's not just feelings. It's not just, I mean, you know what it's like to be loved by someone and anytime you're doing good and they're doing good, it's like, oh, we're best friends, we're all getting along. But then you bring it to family. In any family, you learn, no, love has to be deeper than feelings. And God's love for us is deeper. It's steadfast and enduring. We're meant to show this love to each other. You know, one of the things about, um, I think, even the significance of what the church is meant to be in the world is that, again, we're pointing people to what matters most. And it's not that you can't have accomplishments and you can't have nice clothes or you can't have nice things. But there needs to be a clear indicator when you look at my life of what matters most. 
And we, through our lives, are preaching. I mean, this is what even Paul and is telling Timothy about even the women who live with unbelievers as their husbands and the world who's observing us. Is there something about our lives that is a revelation to people of what matters most? And I'm telling you, first of all, if there's anything motherhood's taught me, is that you can't do it all and be it all. And, you, and, it's, and some of you, you are so struggling to love, it's because you're simply overcrowded. You have overcrowded your life. And you are so stressed out all the time. You need to simplify. Why do you have to have that big of a house? Why do you, I know you have to work. I know it's good to work. I know you need to eat. But do you have to have that much? Do you have to have that kind of... You need to do whatever it takes to love well. And if that means you have a different job so you can have 30 minutes with God, then by golly, get a different job. But love well. Love the people in your house well. And don't try to be everything and do everything. Stop trying to be anointed and look good and have accomplishments and bring pleasure to every person that you encounter. You are meant to bring the kingdom of God that says love is not conditional. It is not based on what you give me. It is not based on how you look today. It is not based on the feelings that you provide for me. It's based on this. God loved me. And in order to love him back, I'm going to love you. It really doesn't have that much to do with the object of your love. It has to do with the one who showed you love. You love God by loving the people in your house. This is God's love language. He says, those who love me will do what I command. And here's my, camp, my command, love one another. You've heard, you've heard probably the five love languages of words of affirmation, acts of service, um, physical touch, all those things. God has said it so many times. Our love for him is not expressed by the songs we write him or the songs we sing him or the great feats that give us a thrill that we do for him. God's love is expressed by how we treat the people that cannot repay us, who do not like us, who are not able to give back the thrill or whatever it is that we've given, the least of these. I love the way Norman Grubb says it in Reese Hall Intercessors. In the book, he says, you do not love the Savior one bit more than you love the least one he died for. This is why even parenting is sometimes hard. Being around kids. You know, why is it so hard to get kids church workers and such? Because kids can't repay you. And sometimes they don't even acknowledge the sacrifice that you give for them. And that's a real test of love, right? Because if we're going to serve somebody, we at least want to know that they know that we're serving them. If we're going to do something, we're going to sacrifice for somebody, then they better know that we're sacrificing for them. But you start, you start caring for vulnerable people and kids... And they will just pick their nose while you're serving them. They'll critique the food that you give them. They will demand more when you don't think you have more to give. So why, why do those things matter? That's where the proof is in the, that's where real love is shown. It's not in the epic acts of sacrifice that's applauded by men. It's in the hidden secret places of the house. When you're serving those around you because you found the face of Christ in them. It's in the little things. It's, this, it's in the big act of Jesus' love that so impacted your heart. His sacrifice, it infiltrates everything you do. How do you love even people like that who don't, you know, practically like 
How do you just cope? How do you mentally cope with giving and serving and sacrificing for people who just don't get it? It's exhausting. I, I, I love what, what I've learned from Mother Teresa and what we learn in Matthew 25 is that we've got to find Christ in disguise. In Matthew 25, you know, they're separating the people who came to Jesus in the prison and who came to him when he was sick and came to him when he was naked and served him. And Jesus welcomes these people and says, you know, come into my Father's kingdom. Well done. What you've done unto the least of these, you've done unto me. And then they say, well, Lord, when did we see you naked? And when did we see you hungry? And when did we visit you in prison? And he says, what you've done to the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you've done unto me. Serving is exhausting when you're just doing it for people. But if you can see the face of Christ, the image of God in the person that you're serving, and if you can build a life where you actually have the time and space to receive the love of God and give it to other people, then you will be able to give, 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 because you are receiving, receiving, receiving. Some of you may need to reschedule, redo your whole life. Like your whole life just needs an overhaul. Your whole life needs an overhaul because everything is still about your accomplishments, your possessions, how you look and how you feel, and you're trying to add the discipleship call. And those two things aren't compatible and you are a stressed out mess. But when you can lay your whole life before God and be okay with the fact that you may not ever have something that is sexy in the world's eyes, that people are all over and applauding. But you may very well have a life that ministers to the heart of Christ, that touches the heart of God. This is a life that matters, to love well. And especially to you women, you cannot do it all in every season. I remember when I got this revelation, it was like, oh my gosh, no, no matter how bad I want it, it is impossible to have everything in every season all the time. And then as it got, then that revelation just began to like go outward. Oh, it's not just a seasonal thing. It's a life thing. In my life, we cannot have it all and do it all. I'm sorry, but the American dream is a lie. You cannot have it all and do it all all the time and be it all. So you've got to understand what matters most. This is what I love where, where John says, this world and its desire is passing away. I mean, think about it. What the world thought was beautiful 100 years ago is different than what the world thought is beautiful now. What was an accomplishment back then is not an accomplishment right now. Everything in this world is fading. It's temporary. And just even look at your relationships with people, how your feelings. Some days you feel them, some days you don't. Some days you like them, some days you don't. All of these things are temporary and fleeting. So what lasts? Doing the will of God. What is the will of God? Imitate God, live a life of love, just as Christ loved you and offered himself for you as a sacrifice. This is success. Success equals obedience. Obedience equals love. Love equals success. Let me say it again in John 15. You can read this definition of success. Success is you being obedient and loving God. Loving and obeying God looks like you loving others. Ultimately, we need to be able to learn how to operate in the love of God no matter the circumstance or the job. 
right? But as a mom or a parent knows about your kids, sometimes, sometimes you just have to help the child out and remove them from the situation that they are not doing well in and give them a little chance to recover and get recentered. Sometimes I think that's what God does for us in life seasons. We're trying to do too much, too much, too much. We're trying to love, 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 but we're doing, we're not really loving anybody. Genuinely, we're not receiving the love of God. And he has to just gently take us aside, give us a little time out and say, I want you to come back to the world when you're ready. (laughs) You need to be able to connect with God and receive his love on a daily basis, breathing him in, breathing him out. I know what it's like to be, um, you know, I certainly don't have all of life's experiences, but I have enough experiences of work and uni and being a mom to three young girls that I, I promise you this, you will make time for what matters to you. You will find time for what matters to you. You will. And let me tell you this, there is time to do what matters. There is time. There may not be time if you're still trying to live by the value system of the world. But if you can surrender to God, you will find time to live a life of love where you can intentionally pour the love of God out on others and receive the love of God from him. What do I want for you, Ramp Church? I want you to impact this city. I want you to impact your families. And remember what we said at the beginning of this. The people who have most impacted us. Who's most impacted your life? I mean, I know the iPhone has been great, but has the iPhone impacted you more than your mother? Has the iPhone impacted you more than your father? The people who loved you or didn't love you? Love from the people closest to us impacts us most. Lack of love impacts us most. And my heart for you is that you would succeed where it matters most. That You would love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. You would prefer Jesus above all others. You would receive his love for you. You would make it your ambition, no matter the job or the circumstance, to represent his love. That it would ooze out of your tone of voice. That it would ooze out of your daily sacrifices. That it would would just be evident in the way you honor your family members. The love of God. Love him first. Love him foremost. Receive his love. Do what matters for your life most, the will of God. As the band joins us, I felt even in prayer just to remind you, you know, when we're young, we think to follow God maybe, or at least I did, following God is like this epic thing and it's going to be so flashy and appealing, you know, to do great feats for God. And I'm not saying that it doesn't involve that. Obedience involves loads of things. Then as we grow older and we get a family and we have security, the temptation is not to, um, is to become so comfortable in our family, to become so comfortable in our relationships that we actually love them more than God. And that, that will never lead to the life of Christ either. And I've been praying, as I've been praying for you, moms, as I've been praying for you, um, siblings and, and people just in the family relationships that you have, I've been praying that you will look to Christ for what only Christ can give, that he will be your source and the only one you worship, that he will be first, 
that you will experience his love in such a way that you will know you're meant to be connected to humans and you're meant to enjoy humans and you're meant to have relationships that are life-giving, but you are meant to be plugged into the source, Jesus Christ, where your identity, your strength, your joy comes from. This is the relationship in your life that lasts, that provides fuel for every other relationship. Let's just, even right now as we close in prayer, I want you to just bow your head and close your eyes. And just kind of even ask the Holy Spirit for just a little bit of an insight into your own heart and life. And Lord, we just acknowledge our own humanity right now. We have limited time, we have limited capacity. And sometimes, Lord, we're bringing in ambitions from the world, desires, Lord, for other things that hinder our love. Lord, we ask that right now you would just begin to point out by the Holy Spirit anything, Lord, in our daily life, in our daily rhythm, in our values, in our goals, God, that's distracting from us loving you wholeheartedly and distracting us from loving others. Lord, we know that we have to work and we have to do all of these things that practical life demands, but we also know from the life of Jesus that all of it is sacred. All of it is meant to be an act of love and an act of gratitude back to you. So we invite you, Holy Spirit, reorientate our lives, reorder our lives, Lord. Challenge, God, our goals. Challenge our ambitions, Lord, and align them with what matters most, to imitate you and to live a life of love towards others as you have given us an example of. There's nothing off limits to you, Lord. We exalt you. We exalt you, Jesus, as our source.